verses 37 through 41. And our title of this morning's message is A Gospel Response. A Gospel Response. And this is Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 37. And if you will, one more time, please stand for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. This is God's word. Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, even whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever and ever. Father, we do thank you for thy holy word, and Lord, we do pray for a greater understanding, and Lord, illumination by thy spirit. Father, prepare our hearts to truly receive thy word, inscribe it in our hearts and our minds, Lord, we might go forth and do that which is pleasing in your sight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, it's interesting to, to see and how people respond when they hear the gospel and the first time, perhaps, when they've heard the gospel being preached. If only we could actually look into their hearts and their minds to see what's taking place during that time, the first time they hear the gospel, or perhaps maybe they've heard it many, many times, and what's actually going on uh, in the heart. Certainly uh, large numbers, huge numbers of people will hear the gospel, but even though they do, they will never truly respond to it, or they respond in a way that's merely superficial, resulting in no change of heart, no change of life. Not quite the biblical response. Many will hear the gospel and their hearts will simply become more and more hardened to it. So their spiritual condition, which is current, is actually worse than they were before because they have rejected the gospel. They haven't believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the beauty is that there will be some who hear and respond in the biblical manner with repentance and faith, which is required. It fills our hearts, though, and every one of you, if you've seen a person come to faith in Christ for that first time, and you see them put their faith in Jesus, and it's just a joy in your heart, like, ah, another soul has been saved. Another one has entered into the kingdom of Christ. And so that does kind of speak volumes and it does bring a smile and a spring in our step when you see that happen. Now Jesus spoke of various responses to the gospel in his parable of the sower, if you remember that parable. Most of us are going to be very familiar with that great parable because it exposes the hearts of men and how they hear, how they hear the gospel. Some will hear the gospel and they don't understand it, and the Bible says the evil one comes and snatches it away, and his heart 
Jesus said is the hardened path. He will not respond at all. Some are rocky ground hearers who hear the gospel and they quickly receive it with great joy and, and they seem to make a big uh, to-do about it, but as soon as any kind of trials, any kind of hardship may come, they fall away. As soon as temptations come, they turn away. As soon as persecution comes, they abandon the gospel altogether and they will not stand firm on the gospel. Now he may seem to respond, but his heart has not received it, his gospel of life. Many, many are the weekend warrior type Christians who have not received the gospel, though they go through the motions, but they still don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, these weekend warriors, if you will, and they fill our churches across the land, across and around the globe. And churches suffer because of the hypocrisy that is there. Those who make a profession of faith, but in their heart, they truly don't believe, and their life remains unchanged. They're still steeped in their sin, and there's no heart of repentance at all. And they go about still the weekend warrior, if they even come that often, the weekend thing. But people may begin to ask, you know, where is a little Bobby or Jane? I make up the names. Where is little Bobby or Jane? You know, I remember I saw them get saved two years ago, and I've never seen them set foot in the church ever since then. And they wonder, what happened? Well, they didn't know Christ. Perhaps their emotional strings were tugged and pulled, but, but in their heart they didn't believe upon Christ, and they didn't receive him by faith. Some will be the thorny ground hearers who hear the gospel, but the worldliness and the desires of the world, their desire for riches will choke out the word, and, and so he becomes unfruitful, and, and so many surrender their lives to the, the practice of worldliness, doing the very things that Paul warned against, saying, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom. It's their worldly practice, their daily practice. I have mentioned before about some famous evangelists who said that, that they have regretted that of all the you know, many, many, many uh, revival crusades that they have uh, been a part of, that only a small handful of people after five years still followed Christ. Five, you know, just a handful of people still believe upon the Lord. Why is that? Because their heart strings were tugged, but they did not repent and believe the gospel. Very, very sad. Now we ask, why do these kinds of things happen? The masses did not have a gospel response. The masses did not truly respond according to Scripture. Some didn't understand. Some heard, and they fell away because of trouble. Some heard, but they embraced worldliness instead of Christ. And so these were never converted. They never knew the Lord. And yet we must say, ah, I saw her or him. I saw them do something that they must be saved. I don't know why they've never, you know, they're not walking with Christ, and they never have since that one moment. Yeah, they felt you know, guilty one moment, and they felt sad about it. They didn't repent. They didn't believe. They didn't walk by faith. They had a response, 
but not a gospel response. Because a gospel response will be seen with those who hear the gospel, and according to Scripture, they understand it. He hears it, he believes it, he abides in it, and he will bear fruit. Whether it's a hundredfold, sixtyfold, or thirtyfold, he can't help but bear fruit because the gospel is rooted in him. He is united to Christ in faith, and he will bear fruit because of Christ. It'll be there. It doesn't matter if you can see it or not yourself, but the fruit will be there. So we consider this topic this morning about a gospel response. So let's look at our first point. Look at verse 37. Here we see gospel conviction. Gospel conviction. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? We've heard what you've said. We've heard in our own languages. We, we heard the mighty works of God. We've heard the good news, but we also heard we are guilty for a holy God. We're guilty of the death of the Messiah. Man, what can we do? Well, the greatest crime ever done and committed by humanity. What shall we do? Sometimes we talk about conviction. I think people are afraid of the word conviction. They can tend to be a little bit fearful about it. We don't want anybody to feel bad about themselves. If you feel convicted and you leave the services, then you say, man, I feel guilty. I had a horrible day at church. You know? and I just don't feel, I want to be lifted up. I want to smile. I want, you know, I want to be the perfect day and see the unicorns dancing across the lawn. That's what I want to, I want to see. And so we are afraid sometimes to expose the sinner to what the Word of God says because they're going to feel convicted. And they will realize that they are Sinners, And so what do we do? We avoid speaking about the sins they are guilty of. Of course, that won't do any good for anybody to have that kind of response. The problem today is that no one is feeling guilty about their sins. No one feels guilty anymore, whether believer or unbeliever. Many they go about and they sin without any kind of conviction at all. And that is a fearful position to be in if you can sin and not feel any conviction by the Spirit of God. Oh, that's the time. You better pray hard. Pray very hard. Pray for grace and mercy. But no one today seems to feel guilty about their sins. They have the attitude that everyone is doing that, so it's okay if I do it. They certainly won't be able to condemn me for it because everybody else is doing it, and yet the Word of God and God Himself condemns the sin, condemns the sinner for committing that sin. They are guilty. They are guilty before God. Now here, here in our text, this is after Peter the Apostle, this is after his great sermon on the day of Pentecost, and he has, he has really come and hit the nail on the head of the very issues on the sins of the people who are present there in Jerusalem. And so he made no mistake, and he is pointing to them, you can imagine, letting them know for certain 
You're all guilty sinners before a holy God. You will die and go to hell if you know not Christ. If you don't repent of your sin and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you will die in your sin. And they're cut to the heart. They're cut. He lets them know in no uncertain terms that they are guilty of killing the Lord of glory, guilty of slaying the Son of God, guilty they were of the greatest sin in all of humanity, but they were already sinners, and they were already guilty because they violated the holy word of God by their constant sin and rebellion. Yes, the ultimate sin here of slaying the Son of God, his body, okay, and putting his body to death, but proving they're guilty and showing that they're enemies of God and Christ. So they're guilty and worthy of all damnation and destruction for eternity for the greatest crime on earth. Yet how many today feel no conviction for their sins anymore? Even Christians say, ah, it's just a white lie. Oh, it's just a little something. Nobody will miss it at work. You know, I stole this or that. Nobody will miss it. I'm allowed to take so many. Five or six or seven won't hurt. You know, the little things, and they pile up, and the sins build up. Unbelievers, they walk about not feeling any guilt, not feeling any conviction, but they are dead and sin and trespasses, and they're doing that which is according to their fallen nature, and they're just doing what they do. They are sinning, and they go about sinning until they are convicted by the Word of God until the Holy Spirit regenerates their heart and, and changes their lives, but they are guilty before God nonetheless. But how much more tragic is it when those calling themselves Christians, when they go about sinning against God, go about trampling upon the very blood of Christ that they claim to have been cleansed by? How many of them, by their willful Sinning. How tragic that truly is, because they, they harden their hearts and they don't feel any conviction anymore. No conviction. They harden their hearts little by little, more by more. How sad, how, how hardened their hearts have become when they don't feel that conviction and they don't even feel the conviction from God's Word when it's proclaimed, when it's applied. And, and I've mentioned some of the great revivalists of the past like George Whitfield, and he would look you dead in the eye and he would, he would look at you and just kind of make you feel real uncomfortable. And he's talking about, have you repented of that sin yourself? Are you guilty of that particular sin. Are you guilty? Yes. Yes. And he's repentance. It must be repented of, or you'll certainly bear your sin and your penalty. Very, very tragic. Or if they do, sometimes, if they do feel any conviction at all, then, then sometimes as soon as they walk out of the sanctuary, as soon as they pass through the doors, before they go, oh, I do feel disturbed and I'm convicted and I'm angered. I can't believe they hit on my particular sin in my life that I struggle with. And, and so they feel conviction. They walk out the door, oh, left that behind. Sort of like a Walmart where you leave a little can of goods in the, right in the, the, the grocery cart lane and you forget, ah. Oh, he felt bad. I left that over there at the store. 
You walk out of the sanctuary, where is the conviction? Has it been repented of? And joy has been replaced? Or, oh, just, just leave it. I felt convicted now. I'll go home and, you know, have a drink and pop on the TV and I won't feel convicted anymore. I can just forget about that go right back to my sin. Remember the track, My Favorite Sin, a very ironic one. I may have to get some of those. But, However, like the Jews at Pentecost, men and women today, they must be confronted with the reality of their sin. Yes, we speak about the law of God because the law must be applied to the sinner. They must hear and see and understand that, that I am a sinner and I'm guilty of breaking, violating God's whole word. Guilty of that. And the sin that Christ bore upon the cross. I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that myself. Where is the conviction? They must see their sin in the light of God's holy word. They must see it in the light of his law. They will see and feel and realize their guilt. And we need conviction. Once again, a gospel conviction. And we must pray for the Spirit of God to convict the hearts of sinners. And don't forget to pray to convict our own hearts of sin as well as we live our lives of faith before Christ. And then their hearts will be cut to the core because then their sins will be laid bare before their own eyes when they are convicted and their guilt is made known. And then as they are cut to their hearts, that's when they cry out, Brothers, what do we do? I'm guilty before God. What can I do to be saved? How can I possibly be saved. What shall we do? True conviction, a gospel conviction will cause the sinner to cry out, what must I do to be saved? It's an acknowledgement of their own sin. It is a confession of sin. It's admitting that they are guilty and that there's nowhere that I can run to. For we are guilty before Almighty God. May God help us. Because gospel conviction always leads to a turnabout, which is our second point. Look at verse 38 and 39 here again of our text as we look at gospel repentance. 38 and 39, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone to whom the Lord our God calls to himself. After crying out to Peter and the apostles, Peter gives them the proper response. He said, if you have a gospel conviction, <clears throat> so if they have a gospel conviction, then they must respond in a true gospel repentance. It is a life-changing repentance. It is a turning away from your old life and walking in a new life, a new life of faith in Christ. So we have a gospel repentance. And so Peter tells them three things for a proper gospel response. Three things. He says, first of all, 
you must repent. He says it's not enough to simply feel convicted of your sins and I pray to God that you are and you feel the guilt and the weight of your sin before God, but you don't leave it there. Because then you remain in your sin and guilt. And it's never enough to simply feel sorry for your sins if anyone feels sorry for their sins today. If anyone is sorrowful about they're violating God's word. If all you do is feel convicted but never repent, you still die in your sins. If all you do, I feel convicted. A lot of great masses may feel convicted, but if they never repent, they will not be saved. They must repent because true conviction, true conviction as we see in, in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 talking about true conviction, a godly grief, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death. So conviction without repentance and faith leaves you wallowing in the mire of death and destruction and your judgment is sure and set. So repentance is absolutely necessary. I pray to God that you feel convicted when you do sin, when you do break his word, when you don't uh, do those things that you know you should do and do the things you should not. I pray that you feel conviction. I pray harder that you will repent of sin. Absolutely. If there is no repentance of sin, then there is no salvation. And we have to grasp that because we must truly repent of our sins. But will you really turn away from sin? Will you go out of your way to turn away from sin? Will you say no to it when the temptation comes up, whatever kind it may be? And it may be a great variety. Or there may be one particular stronghold in your life. You just won't give it up, that particular sin. That's why they call it your favorite sin. You won't let it go. But it must be repented of. It must absolutely be. Peter said the proper response to the gospel of Jesus Christ is to repent. But if you have truly repented of your sins, then you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. If you have truly repented, you must be baptized. Okay, this is referring to water baptism. Now, does water baptism cleanse you from sin? No, it does not. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away your sin. So why does Peter then command water baptism? Even though all are called to repent, they are individually called to receive the sacrament of baptism. To be baptized is to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The act of water baptism portrays this washing and it points to what repentance actually produces. Which is what? Cleansing. Cleansing. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, he said, Baptism 
which corresponds to this, now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, water baptism is simply the, is a picture of the, the inward reality, okay, of your conversion, of your being baptized by the Holy Spirit, okay, as soon as you believe upon Christ. So it's not the act of baptism that saves, but the attitude behind it that has that efficacy of, of yielding and producing forgiveness. One scholar said this, the baptismal washing that comes with repentance signifies an inner cleansing that allows the person to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. And so the one who turns to God calls on the name of the Lord by being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a response. If you have felt convicted and you have repented of your sins and you show your faith, that public profession, that demonstration, is nothing else other than being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Okay, here summarized in the baptism of Jesus Christ. So there's no magic in the water at all, but it represents what repentance is asking God to do, to give forgiveness. By agreeing to baptism, the person is affirming in a very public manner what the heart has already done uh, to come into relationship with God. It's an outward expression of your conversion to Christ. And so have you then been baptized in the name of the Lord? Have you received water baptism? It is commanded. Christ commands it. Peter says, proper response. You must repent of your sins. True repentance. Gospel repentance. He said, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an expression of your faith. Okay, not anything else, actually. Not filling out a card or those other things that we do being baptized, coming before the body of Christ and receiving water baptism, okay, as an outward expression of your conversion. Now this does refer to the command of Christ, I said, to be baptized in the, in the name of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is summarized, but, but if, if you have put your faith in Jesus, the proper response like I said, it's not raising the hand, it's not walking to the front, it's, it's not doing other things. A proper response is be baptized in the name of the Lord. It is water baptism. Okay? And then you are baptized in the authority of the Father and the authority of the Son and the authority of the Spirit, the three in one. And such a faith, such a response to Jesus in the waters of baptism leads to forgiveness leads to forgiveness. And third, then if they have repented and if they have been baptized as Christ commands, the gift of the Holy Spirit will be given who will dwell within you and keep you unto the last day. As all of the Jews in Jerusalem here in our text, they heard and they saw what was taking place on this great day of Pentecost, the mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God. So all of those to call on the name of the Lord or see the Spirit of God. Whether it's you, whether it's your children, 
For those who are far away, the promise is for all of those whom the Lord our God will call to himself. And I pray he's calling you in the exact same manner. Which leads to our final point very quickly. Look at verse 40 and 41 of our text. Here we see simply the gospel response. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. About 3,000. Typically, they just counted the number of men. And so he may have a whole lot more with the women and children who were added into that number. So about 3,000. Peter exhorted them here. He commanded them. He called them. He confronted them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation, this evil, adulterous generation that we ourselves live in today. And so he says, Save yourselves, but you must respond in faith. They must repent, and they must believe in Christ, and then in faith be baptized in the name of the Lord. Must be. How did they respond, we read? Those who received the gospel, they were baptized on that day. 3,000. 3,000 at least. They were received on that day at that time. And God added those 3,000 souls uh, to the body of Christ. Glorious, beautiful picture. Gospel response. And we need a gospel response today. We do need gospel conviction. We do need gospel repentance. And we need this gospel response of faith, yes. And even for the body of Christ, a faith that's publicly manifested an outward, simple water baptism. How will then we respond today? Do you have conviction in your own hearts? Will you repent of it? Now, I don't know the heart. I don't know your individual sins that you may struggle with. All I can say is I know my own. But we must repent of those sins, and we must turn from those sins again and again and again as long as we are alive in the body. But we must turn away from it. And if you've never been baptized if you've repented of your sins and believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, an expression of that to be done in the waters of baptism. I encourage you to do so. It's certainly commanded, but it's also a glorious picture and to see your faith in Christ. Have you truly repented? If so, like I said, have you received baptism? It's not a frightful thing. Okay, you're baptized by the Spirit of God into the spiritual body of Christ, and you're water baptized into the community of believers. And, and as you've been baptized and, and have a true faith in Christ, then yeah, you may partake of the Lord's Supper. But until then, we must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We must repent of sins. We must be baptized. We must be marked as His. They are baptized in his name. They are marked as belonging to him. Okay, it's part and a sign and a symbol for those. Oh yeah, he or she is a Christian. I know they repented of their sins. They received baptism. They joined the church. 
the invisible body of Christ and to join the local church. And maybe some of y'all need to do that today. Let's go ahead then and go before the Lord in prayer together. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. And Father, we pray for the continued a convicting work of thy spirit. Lord, help us to truly turn away from our sins, Father, and to walk before you, cleansed in the blood of Christ. And Lord, I pray that if there are any here who, who have believed upon your Son, our Lord Jesus, that they received him by faith, they repented of sins, but they need baptism, O oh Lord. We pray that, O oh Lord, grant them the, the unction, Father, as they desire to receive. Father, we pray, put it on our hearts, Lord, that we might be found faithful. We ask in Jesus' name. Let's all go ahead and stand together and turn your hymnals to